This is Hitting the Mark, conversations with founders and investors about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success, with your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Garhalter. Welcome to Hitting the Mark. Today we travel to London via the Netherlands as we welcome identical twin co-founders Raisa and Joyce De Haas, whose award-winning premium mixers Double Dutch are winning craft cocktail fans' hearts around the world while gaining international attention for their innovative take on sodas and tonics. I first came across the brand in Europe and then a few weeks ago I noticed Raisa being featured on the 30 under 30 list by Forbes where they had the following to say about the brand. The De Haas twins, born in the Netherlands, are the co-founders of Double Dutch Drinks, a range of soft drinks developed specifically for pairing with higher quality spirits, including gin, whiskey, rum, and tequila. Since its 2015 launch, the London-based brand has sold 10 million bottles and raised 1.9 million British pounds. The drinks are available in 22 countries and are sold in more than 4,500 outlets, including Michelin star restaurants, luxury hotels such as the Savoy and the Mandarin Oriental, as well as 2,000 supermarkets. With that being said, welcome, Risa and Choice. Hello. Hello. Hey, it's great to have you here. So first off, I'm a big gin tonic fan. Um, too bad it's early in the morning when we record this my time. <laughs> so for you, it's already in the evening. Um, but gin itself, the, the history of it, uh, it actually traveled just like you from the Netherlands to London, correct? Gin actually comes from the Netherlands. Yes, very much. The Dutch, they invented it uh, decades and decades ago in uh, Netherlands and then actually the Dutch King of Orange, he was on the throne here in the UK and he just banned everything that was not Dutch and then he started importing it into the UK and that's how gin became so popular here in London as well. And you followed the trail of the inspiration. <laughs> that's great. Um, Let's talk a little bit about your background. Um, so, so molecular gastronomy is such a big thing in Northern Europe. Um, is that your background or how did it all start? It seems like you were right on the zeitgeist with your idea. I mean, less than a year ago, the conglomerate Kettle One released Kettle One Botanical, um, doing essentially a similar thing by harnessing the flavors of herbs and fruits without sugar, making it artisanal, craft-style cocktails um, that have more flavor and are more balanced. What inspired you to be on the forefront of what now became a trend in the beverage industry? You started the concept while you were in college, right? Tell us a little bit about that story. Yeah. So we, um, so we always grew up with our parents in the Netherlands. Um, they always were like big uh, gin drinkers. <laughs> and they had like a little wine and spirit shop in their garden, basically. So we kind of grew up um, building a big passion for spirits. Uh, we knew lots of the local distilleries and just grew up a little bit drunk. <laughs> um <laughs> And then we moved to Belgium to study at university and everyone in Belgium drinks beer, obviously. Um, but we always grew up with quality spirits. So we, um, at a university, we threw parties on Wednesdays and Thursdays at our flats. And we kind of put a ban for people who came to our parties to bring beer. So we told people to bring different uh, bottles of gin or vodka or tequila to our parties and then 
Joyce and I would make different sodas in our kitchen for the week ahead. So it was very primitive. We would just, for example, heat up strawberry and mint in a saucepan, add sugar, then you get like a syrup and then add carbonized uh, water. So we did that for a couple of years, did it just for fun um, and just did it because we thought the choice of in uh, gins and vodkas and spirits was so big, but choice of mixers and tonic waters was just boring. So we just started experimenting with different flavors. Um, so did that for fun, kept doing it for friends and family. Uh, and then graduated both in finance, actually. So I started working for a small private wealth management firm in Antwerp. And Joyce started working for a bigger corporate uh, bank in Brussels. Um, but soon, after four months, we kind of decided that finance wasn't maybe for us. You had <laughs> so, to go back to drinking. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so we wanted to follow our passion for drinks. So we decided to move to London, um, studied the second uh, master here in technology entrepreneurship, and basically devoted our year about the beverage industry here. So we wrote our dissertation about the fact that spirits be were becoming more and more experimental. There was this whole gin hype and the premiumization and quaff movement in spirits was definitely um, be becoming more popular. But again, we saw in the UK and in London, tonic waters and mixers were pretty standard. And we just decided to write a dissertation about that and wanted to, and our end goal was basically to develop a range of mixes and tonic waters that were more innovative, that were more exciting, that offered more choice um, and really brought something different to the market. So we eventually launched um, after we graduated with cucumber and watermelon and pomegranate and basil. So two very different flavors. Uh, we wanted to launch with one more summery um more uh, fresh flavors, so cucumber, watermelon, and one more botanical herbal flavor, which is the pomegranate and basil, um, and just launched with those two and added different uh, flavors uh, across the years to the to the range. So how we came into the flavor development, all our recipes are actually based on flavor pairing techniques. So we look at our flavor development more from a molecular. Um, pairing point of view and and look for example at it's basically the same kind of way our mission starts restaurants and chefs um make their um their their menus together that's amazing that is such a great story and and it's you know you say you launched it and you say it so easily but breaking into the food and beverage industry into that market um is super difficult. I mean, there's so much that goes into it. Um, just understanding all the rules and understanding the suppliers and, and how to get on the shelf. And um, you say it like it was, oh, and then we launched. Uh, but, but it was really like, how did you get all the contacts? I mean, you, you basically at that point, you were straight out of school, straight out of your master's. Um, you did a dissertation. But at that point, you know, how do you actually go from 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 that, that idea? And even though you, you already mixed the product and you had that idea, how do you go into, into packaging and getting on shelves? I mean, that's, that's a whole big step right there that we didn't discuss. <laughs> yeah, well, I think for us it was challenging because we were only living here in, the, in London for less than a year. So we didn't really know anybody. We didn't really have family, friends that could advise us on like contact and even like little things like legal advice, those kind of things. I think that was definitely challenging. But 
because we were with the two of us, we just thought like we're going to start knocking on doors. We're going to stalk every potentially beneficial person on LinkedIn. <laughs> um, and I think that's just how we started growing our network. And then we randomly, we found this guy who, um, who helps startups find bottling plants, uh, help startups uh, make recipes more commercially. Like somebody who's really like just a one-man band who gives consultancy to startups on how to uh, commercialize your basically your recipes at home. Um, and he helped us also find a bottling plant. So we find a little bottling plant here in North London. They had like two machineries, very small. We hand labeled all our bottles ourselves overnight. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it was a long, long the night. The good old days. The good old yeah. days. Um, and then basically, we had our first. We had our first six thousand bottles, um, and that's where we just went went to London. With we had like this list of hundred restaurants and bars and hotels that we thought they would be amazing as our first customers. Um, and people were actually really open to try. People, I don't know. I think in London. Or maybe everybody just like, we're so helpful. Like we would have one bartender who really liked it. He would say like, oh, but I have a friend there and I have another friend who's working there. Go there with my regards. He'll take your product on. And I think it just moved step by step slowly from there. Isn't that surprising in, in large metropolitan cities like London that there's so much human kindness, right? And that people just want to help, you know, get you to the next place. Yeah, for sure. I think people are really uh, just really supporting starting businesses, people who want to do something different. And I think we, yeah, that really showed off here. So very grateful for that. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And there was a lot of hustle. I mean, you, you guys literally walked personally from bar to bar and trying to, you know, just get the product into the right hands. So it's not like it came easy in any way. No, but I, it was fun as well. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, and I, did, uh, I did read that you received the support of none other than Sir Richard Branson. Um, was that the big breakthrough moment for your brand? I think it was a startup competition that you won, correct? Yes, exactly. He awards um, most innovative and disruptive food and beverage brand in the UK every year. And we won it after we launched like three or four months later. So that was amazing and definitely was a turning point, which was really quickly after we launched. So we were very lucky um, to win that. And it just gave us incredible credibility with potential customers, gave us a massive amount of press nationally and internationally and just kind of gave us that head start. So that really helped us massively. And is that how you got onto the first shelves too? There's always something, there's like this amazing moment when you see your product first on, on the shelves, right? In any, in any shop, it could be the smallest like local shop. Like what was that first, what was the first like chain that said, yes, we will actually store your product? Uh, our first shop was Harvey Nichols in London. And then um, after that, I think Fortnum Masons, which was amazing. And then Self just took us on and, and all the other department stores. 
And then yeah. it just kept going. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I, I mentioned Richard Branson, but look, I'm in LA, um, and uh, we're we're known for our celebrity culture. So let's just stick to the most mesmerizing of characters out there, with whom you seem to co-mingle day in day out. If I look at your Instagram account, um, so I have to ask, how was that meeting with the late and great Karl Lagerfeld? Um, did did you chat it up, or was it just more of a photo opportunity? But I'm just so mesmerized that there's the two of you and Karl Lagerfeld. <laughs> Great spotting. <laughs> Has nothing to do with um, branding whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a very long time ago, actually, before we started Double Dutch. We uh, met him or like quickly saw him in, in a bar on holiday. And then we just thought we'll go up to him, ask for like a quick chat. Um, and it was actually very nice. So it was a, it was a fun evening. <laughs> Yeah, it was yeah, not a look, very long set, but a good evening. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, looking at Karl Lagerfeld, you never would say he's a funny person or a fun person, right? Because he has this certain look about him. But look, it's personal branding. And I think that the two of you are very much about personal branding too, right? It's it's the whole idea of Double Dutch and the, and the twin sisters. And, you know, how is that working with your twin sister? I guess one of you should step out of the room now. But tell, I mean, <laughs> one at a time, right? But tell, tell us a little bit about the challenges because I know um, a lot of founders say look I need a co-founder it's better to have a co-founder and then a lot have co-founders and then things things don't work out for you the two of you are you know literally by birth and now all the way into the actual company so um, attached to each other as a personal brand um, how does this how does this work or, or or what are some advantages what are some challenges I think it's great I think you're right like I would recommend everyone to have a co-founder, but to be able to do it with my twin sister is amazing because we can 100% trust each other anytime, even if we might disagree or we would fall out, we wouldn't really fall out for more than half an hour and then we have to make up again. <laughs> um, and I just think it's amazing. We're kind of always on the same kind of thinking um, and even if we're not it, it's not a big deal we don't need to tiptoe and be careful to say what we think we just say how it is and that's that and yeah I think it's great you Joyce <laughs> <laughs> no I do love it I think there's not really any challenges with it that I can think of the only thing is that our sister life has become so much integrated in business that we, because we came here together um, in London, we have very much the same friends group and we go on holidays together <laughs> and everything's so integrated with, with each other. But that also means that we can, we just never switch off from double Dutch because when we're drinking and we're in a bar and we're having fun, 100% double dash will come up at some point because we're like, oh, have you ever thought about that? Or us, oh, should we not bring <laughs> down that day? I mean, it's always double dash. There's like not really any leisure time off from it. And I think if we would probably not have started the business together, then that would probably have been a bit less. But nevertheless, I mean, it's both our babies. So we love it. And I think, yeah, it's, it's amazing to just do it with the two of us and especially because we have had such a similar journey and we've always been like super close together. We don't really have, um, no, we don't have any other siblings. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's really, really great. 
That's great. No, that that was that was a fantastic answer by by both of you. It's not you know it's not it's not different with a lot of uh, co-founders that are married to each other where they spend a lot of time together and then afterwards they have to figure out how to not talk about work. I mean the two of you are constantly together and then you have to figure out how to not talk work. I think you should just not go to bars anymore. I think you should just <laughs> have a complete sober lifestyle, which of course would ruin your brand. <laughs> All right, let's let's switch let's switch over to talk uh, branding a little bit. Um, let's talk about the name Double. Dutch. There is so much thought that must have gone into it, or maybe it was just like this quick, you know, like idea that you had. But I noticed at least three puns in the name, right? But but tell us the story behind the name and how you came up with it. Uh, well, we actually it was very co- coincidental. Like when we when we knew that we would start a new type of mixer brand, we thought about the most lame names ever. Like, I think we had like list soda, highball. I mean, I can't remember all of them, but really. Don't say them. It's not good for your brand. Don't say this. (laughs) (laughs) And then we, again, everything happens in a bar. We were in a bar, um, like just drinking with like, um, English friends. And we started like saying like, Oh guys, don't you know, like it's any name for us. Like we, we were like stuck at these names that are really not a good fit. And then the evening went on and on and on. And people started saying like, Oh, you should call it double Dutch. And I think the next morning we had such a hangover, but the only thing <laughs> we could remember was like double Dutch. And we thought like, Oh my God, it's such a good name. It's like catchy. It really like suits us in like what you say. It has like three, at least three different types of meanings that are so relevant for us because obviously we're Dutch twins, so double Dutch, it's double flavored, it's all our flavors, so that's double. Then speaking double Dutch, if you're a bit drunk, you're speaking double Dutch. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. <laughs> so yeah, I think I love the name and I think we get so much good feedback and I think that the name makes our whole brand. So yeah. Great. I have one to add. I was thinking about the rope jumping double dutch and that that is kind of like it's kind of like mixing, right? You're constantly shaking and you're moving. So I yeah, <laughs> it's it's so many so many good thoughts um and the name just arrived in one drunken evening, which which is how the brand should have been born. I mean, it makes a lot of sense for your brand. Um <laughs> let me <clears throat> let me read a few lines from your website. Um from the world's best mixologists through to those who prefer the G&T on the sofa at home, the double dutch twin have created revolutionary mixes to intensify enjoyment of spirits or to be drunk solo. It's actually really funny, the, the copy that you write on the site. And, and another line is, um, the perfect twin for your spirit. So how was that brand voice crafted? Is it like, do you actually, like, did you hire copywriters at a certain point? Are you working with an agency? Or is it, is it the two of you just kind of like organically, you know, changing the copy on the side? Um, it's definitely more organic, um, just kind of randomly coming up with different slogans and then they just stick. Um, but along the way we've worked with a few copywriters, but it's definitely more just friends and like the team that just constantly organically change it a little bit more. 
Great. And, and when did you actively start investing in branding? I mean, I'm sure that, um, you know, packaging design is so important, right? I mean, the, the, the look and the shelf appeal and in the bar and, and the entire spirit industry is, is really based on, based on packaging design. Um, how, how did you go about that? Like, did, was that very organic too? Or did you do a lot of research and A-B testing? Did, did you hire a designer? How did that go about? Um. I think naturally from day one, we knew like where, what we wanted to stand for and what our identity should be. Um, and we knew how we are wanted to have our brand come alive. And we knew we want to have it like a genuine brand, fun, innovative, young, natural, healthy, colorful. So I think with that, we initially actually had like uh, different types of labels were, which were really not great but we brought that to the market knew that they were not great and then really listened to feedback of our customers to see what they wanted to see in our branding and in in, in the whole vision and it quite quickly became clear that they really wanted to see like the story in the whole branding so we after six months after we launched we used the branding agency and they were really amazing. We gave them the brief, like what we really wanted to see. Um, and they completely visualized it in our labels. They made a brand identity for our website um, and just really um, turned that around. That's fantastic. Yeah, that makes it makes a lot of sense, that journey. What, so the, the two of you being so, being so part of your own brand um, and, and you having established... A, a quite amazing brand at a very young age. Um, what does branding mean to you? Because branding is such a nasty word, right? Like it, it just feels like, you know, a lot of people feel like branding is the logo, but it's so much more. And what does it mean to you? Yeah, I think brand is really about feelings, not facts. And it's about who you are, what you stand for, what your identity of your brand is. And it is your whole company basically it's definitely not just a label or website or social media um i think it's really important that a brand should trigger feelings with your consumers and customers um yeah totally yeah absolutely um what was what was a fail like a big ginormous brand fail that you went through um that that others can learn from right we have a lot of founders a lot of entrepreneurs um on this podcast like what was something that you went through where now looking back you're like oh my god i could have totally avoided that if i did a b or c <laughs> um oh, so many things <laughs> right um, the last the last couple of years most probably one day yeah. one day was a win one day was a fail <laughs> Uh, well, I think what we didn't do from the beginning, and I think if we would start all over, I would put much more focus on bringing one identity together. I think we very much, we did like our, um, and, and what we didn't do is bring it all the way 360 degrees. I think we made a website and then we made the label and then we had a leaflet. I think everything was like not one entity. And I think we should have defined everything in one entity sooner that or going from like, if we go to a trade show or ex exhibition stand, it has the same look and feel as our social media to our type of, like our text uh, on the website to the labels, to the fonts, to the leaflets. I think our whole branding 
it took us quite a long. It was like very step by step that we brought everything together. Um, I think that could have probably been much quicker. It's it's brand cohesion, right? That is so important, especially in the beginning. And it's so difficult as a as a, as a startup entrepreneur to 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 say no. Now let's let's stop right now where we have traction. Let's stop and really analyze the brand and create that 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 style and say this is us. And we we're just going to use those two colors, those two fonts. You know, this is our tagline. This is our look yeah. and feel. And we, it's so difficult when you're in the midst of it to just like take that take that breather and say no. Let's let's do this professionally and let's step back. And um, it's actually exactly what what I do with my consultancy because I, I, I go to, to startups and say, look, now is the time to stop and now we actually need to do all of this and you're going to be back on the road in one month. But I totally <laughs> understand that it's super difficult to do that, um, especially because that's the time where you start meeting consumers because you need leaflets, you need, you need the packaging, you need to get out there. Um, and it's hard to like pull back at that point. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so listeners who fell in love with your with your brand just now um where can they find double dutch i know we have a majority of listeners here in the u.s but right after that there's the uk which i know you're you're widely available then there's belgium which it sounds like you should be available and then we also have a lot of listeners from australia and spain in in which of these countries can my audience start mixing up the best gin tonics ever tonight <laughs> well, you can find us in all those countries except for the US. We're only starting in the US in about five, six months. We're just seeing who the best partner is. But keep an eye on our Instagram. It's called Dollar Strings, and we're like announcing all our new uh, places. But um, we are in Belgium, we're in the UK, we're widely available, going from thousands of different bars, restaurants, hotels to Ocado, Amazon, Fort Mason, Selfridges. We're launching in Retros in May. Um, and then in Spain, we're in lots of bars and restaurants. And in Australia, we're actually just launched with Woolworths. Um, so many, many places. But do send us an email either on Instagram and follow us on social media and we'll definitely give you a list where you can find us. Oh, fantastic. And um, I also sent you my mailing address. Hint. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both. This was so much fun and insightful. I really appreciate you taking the time from running your company. Having both of you here is so amazing that you share your stories with our listeners. I'm, I'm super, super grateful for your time. Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. And thanks to everyone for listening and for hitting the subscribe button and giving the show a rating. It means a lot to me to help spread the word about hitting the mark to founders and investors around the world. This episode is brought to you by another London-based brand, Mr. Machinsky. Uh, possibly the greatest invention in men's underwear since men's underwear itself. Find out more and grab a double pack today at mrmachinsky.com. The Hitting the Mark theme music was written and produced by Happiness One. I will see you next time after I'm having myself a quick chin tonic when we once again will be hitting the mark.